Jesus was crucified, put into a tomb, and he was supposedly taken care of. It was done. They thought that everything was going to be good after this. And when I say they, I'm talking about the Jewish leaders, even the Romans at that point, were just happy to have this off the table. They had nothing to be concerned about because Jesus was crucified. For the disciples, it appeared all was lost. But the Jewish leaders weren't quite happy about everything yet. So on Saturday morning, on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, that Saturday, the day after the crucifixion, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember, while he was still alive, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb may be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And so the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. This reinforces the foolishness of man trying to outsmart a sovereign God. (laughs) They think, oh, we've got the best of them here. And we're going to make sure that everything goes according to plan. It also demonstrates the ignorance of God on behalf of the Jewish rulers. These are the leaders that are supposed to be setting the example of how to have a relationship with God. They're supposed to be the ones that were above reproach. They were supposed to be the standard that everyone else followed. But that wasn't what they were doing. Instead, they were acting like murderers, like criminals. And they didn't even realize it because they weren't in tune to the God who had sent his son to save the world. Then Sunday came. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? See, the women were on their way to the tomb. They had the spices with them. They were ready to go prepare his body because they didn't have a chance really to do much on Friday when they put Jesus in the tomb. They wrapped him in linen and they got him in the tomb, but they didn't have a chance really to prepare the body. So now the women were going with the spices so that they can now prepare the body and freshen uh, the body. But they knew that there was a stone up against the tomb. If you've never been there, the tomb 
is a hole uh, in, in the rock. It, right now it stands about this tall. You have to bend over a little bit to get in. But originally it was this tall. It was very low. And so they enlarged it later on. And it had a big stone that rolled in front of that opening. There's still the path, the track, that that stone would roll in. It's uphill, going this way. So, or since you're facing me, going this way. It's, the stone would be on the upper part of the hill when they put the body in. Then they would roll the stone, and it would roll easily because it's rolling downhill. And then it would cover the opening and then they would seal the opening with the Roman seal. No one is allowed to break a Roman seal without the order of the governor. And so now this was sealed and a guard was placed on the tomb. And these women were going down to the tomb knowing that it was sealed. That's faith. That's how we should act in faith. When God calls you to do something, just do it. Even if it seems like it doesn't make sense. Start doing whatever he told you to do. And then allow him to make the impossible possible. You see, he was going to take care of the problem because they were faithful to head down to the tomb like he led them to do. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, they went down. Who will roll away the stone, they said. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They passed out. See, it's at times like this that I wish they had cell phones. Because there would have been someone there recording this, right? It would have been on Facebook an hour later. But... We don't have that. Instead, we have the stories from what took place by these different apostles that wrote these things. And so here, these guys fall to the ground as dead. They pass out. And the women are getting there. There's evidence that there was an earthquake there, by the way. On the outside of the, um, the, the hole in the uh, tomb, where, where the hole is, and there's a big crack that runs up all the way to the top of the hill. And seismologists say that's an earthquake crack. That happened because of an earthquake. And to get a crack that big, it was a big earthquake uh, to get that uh, to happen. They don't have the rock that was there by the tomb that was covering up the tomb. That rock somehow disappeared somewhere along the way. It's probably at the Smithsonian uh, being saved, and someone's going to bring it out one day. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, but is risen. 
Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. It was an angel that needed to remind them. They were unsure of what really took place. Everyone was unsure. Do you know how I know that? Because the women were the only ones there. Where were the men? Why weren't they there with the women? They could have helped roll the stone away. And so that's how much doubt there was at that time. Now the women are going to receive instructions from the angel. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. And so they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. How many times do we hear Jesus say to his disciples and to others, do not be afraid? They're always afraid. They were afraid of everything. <laughs> and that fear is with us today. That fear is endemic to our society because there is so much to be afraid of. I'm afraid of watching the news. I'm afraid of driving in a car anymore. I'm afraid to travel. What's going to happen? Am I going to be able to make it back when I travel? And I'm not really afraid. I do all of these things. I get into my car. I go and I go to places because I'm not going to leave this earth one minute before my appointed time. Neither are you. So we don't have to be afraid. We can be secure in the fact that everything that God has planned is going to be fulfilled according to his plan. And if you're a child of God, then you will be part of that plan. And your time is not going to be adjusted by whether or not you go to Denny's. Although I don't recommend it. <laughs> now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that have happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, tell them. His disciples came at night and stole him away while he, we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. And so they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Notice, they went to the chief priests. They didn't go and report back to the Roman guard. They were the guard at the tomb. They should have gone back and reported to their commander. Instead, they went to the chief priest and told them what took place. And the chief priest, uh, there were four of them. 
there was plenty of evidence that this was true, but the chief priest wanted to hide it and said, all right, we're going to give you money, and if the governor finds out about this, because they could be put to death because of the fact that they let Jesus escape, they could be put to death. That, that was what the punishment would be, because they're guards. They're supposed to make sure that he, his body wasn't stolen. That's what he was there for. And so he goes, and they go, and the chief priest gives them some money, and it was still being reported that that's what actually took place. It was the lie. Who was making that lie? Who made it up? The Jews, the Jewish. Now, I'm not picking on the Jews. They were the leaders of the time. It, it's a political thing. It was political. Not that we have any of these issues in our pol political system today. Nobody lies in our political system today. And, and so here, they were just, we're doing what they did 2,000 years ago. We're just capitalizing on the same type of politics. Mary ran back to where the brave and faithful disciples were hiding. <laughs> She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they did not believe them. A woman's testimony only counted a half of a man's testimony. But there were multiple women there, at least four. So that counted as two men but it wasn't enough to convince the disciples. Had the disciples been with Jesus long enough to realize, you know, that he had the ability to do this? He told them this was going to happen. Over and over he told them. And they didn't hear. It's kind of like when my wife tells me what we're having for dinner. And an hour before dinner, I say, well, what's for dinner? I told you. Three times. <laughs> Obviously, I wanted something different. Peter then went out and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. So Peter runs to the tomb and the other disciples. So now we're reading out of the book of John because John never calls himself by name. He always calls himself the other disciple. And, and so they both ran together and the other disciple, John, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. He wanted to make sure it was documented. I got there first. So John gets to the tomb first. He beats Peter and he... Stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. And so this is why he had to stoop down. That opening was low. And so he had to stoop down to see what was in there. Folks, there were no flashlights back then, okay? Uh, he didn't have any way to, so he really had to look for a while to see what he could see in there. It's a, it's a small tomb. It's not very big. And uh, so obviously his eyes had, could adjust pretty quickly. And, uh, and he saw, it was daytime now uh, at this point. And so he looked in and saw the clothes lying there. Then Simon Peter came following him. 
John wanted to make sure everyone knew he beat him to the tomb. He was following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. We still do this today. It's a practice that you do in restaurants. When you go to the restroom and you're coming back to your seat, you fold your handkerchief. If you didn't know this, now you know. You fold your handkerchief and put it on the table. That tells them that you're coming back. If you're not coming back, you ball it up and you throw it there or uh, whatever you want to do. But if you fold it, you can put it over the back of your chair or on the table. And that lets them know it's folded. You're coming back to the table. I don't know that they had that custom, but for some reason it's pointed out that his head, uh, the head covering that he had on while he was buried, it was folded apart from the rest of the clothing. And uh, so that's almost like saying, I'm coming back. Here, here it is, he, I, I'm coming back. Not for that particular thing, but I'm coming back. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, man, John, went in also, and he saw and believed. And for as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. And so John finally goes in and looks, and he, he believed. What did he believe? He didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He believed that Jesus wasn't there. You see, if he believed Jesus rose from the dead, what would be your next move? Go find him. Find out where he is. Go looking for him. But instead, it says they went to their own homes. And so, well, they lived in Galilee, that's where their homes were, but here they had homes there in Jerusalem also, and that's where they went separately to their own homes. Meanwhile, there was a couple walking home from Jerusalem, and now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said, this is important for us to identify who Cleopas is. Cleopas is the husband of Mary. Mary was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. And so you'll see that there's a mention of Mary, the wife of Cleopas, at the cross. So if Cleopas is now going home to Emmaus, the other disciple with him is probably his wife, Mary. Besides that, when they get to town, they go into their home and break bread with Jesus. Uh, it wouldn't be two guys that were traveling together, but probably the couple, Cleopas and Mary. And so here they are walking and Jesus comes alongside and Cleopas answered and said, are you the only stranger in 
Jerusalem that you have not known the things which have happened these days? And he said, what things? Can you hear Jesus saying this? What things? Come on, spell it out for me. Let me know what's going on. And so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this... Today is the third day since these things happened. That's an important thing that they believe, the Jews had this traditional belief that if someone dies on the third day, it wasn't, there was no hope for them. Well, if someone dies on the second day, there's no really hope for them. But they believe that on the third day, the spirit of that person would leave the body and there was no hope for them at that point on that third day. And so that's how come he's pointing out, you know what, and it's now the third day after that. That's why they're on their way home. They're not going to be hanging out anymore because there is no hope. All hope is now gone. And he said, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came and said that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us, that's John and Peter, went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then they drew near to the village that they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone on further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures up to us? What an amazing story. Wouldn't you like to have the transcript of what Jesus said when he was talking to them? I've got it right here. Okay, it's not redacted, so you have to read the whole thing to figure it out. But we have the transcript. Jesus spoke from the scriptures, and he explained everything. That's how come we read the whole Bible. We study the whole Bible so that we can be sure for ourselves. We don't have to become Bible scholars because the Holy Spirit reveals to us the truth of the word of God, and as we read it, he opens up his word to us so that we understand it. 
So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And so here's this excitement. Certain people have now seen Jesus, heard from Jesus, and, and Jesus appeared to them. But there's a bunch of people in this room, and they're gathered together. And some of them had no clue. They hadn't seen Jesus yet. They hadn't heard anything. And so here they're just hearing from other people. And now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, they were excited, but they still didn't have a full believing of what was taking place, they marveled, and he said to them, have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Uh, that's important in that a spirit cannot eat food. And so that tradition of what the Jews believed. So if he was able to eat food in front of them, they would now know, no, this is a human body. This is, you know, someone that is, has the ability to eat food and digest food. And so this was more than just an aberration. And so he opened their understanding. Oh, excuse me. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. He opened the scriptures to their understanding. We have that ability too, to have the scriptures open to our understanding. We can't do it on our own. How do I know? The word of God is foolishness to those that perish, but to us it is the power of God. You see, there are people that study the Bible uh, in colleges and universities that teach the Bible as a history or as allegory, as a unique piece of literature, but they don't understand the power behind the word of God. That's reserved for those 
who not only believe but receive the gift that he's given us. And so by believing and receiving, we have that power living within us. And that power gives us the ability to understand not only the word of God, but to understand the still small voice of the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us. The disciples still had not had the Holy Spirit come yet. The day of Pentecost had not happened. Jesus was still with them. He said he had to go so that he could send the Holy Spirit and so that they could experience what they... And when he came, it changed everything. We just did a, a one-year study in the book of Acts, and it really shows everything that the Holy Spirit did through ordinary men during that period of time. It's the same Holy Spirit that lives within us today. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelves, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples, this is doubting Thomas. Okay, now, now you know where he got his name from. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. And so he said, unless I see his hand, uh, the print of his nails, and put my finger in the print of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside. This is in that upper room. And Thomas was with them. And Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in their midst and said, peace to you. The doors were closed. They were locked. The windows were shut. They were afraid of the Jews. They were afraid of the Romans and they were kind of hunkering down in there in fear. And all of a sudden Jesus appears in their midst and says, peace to you or shalom. And they were a little bit afraid as usual. Can you imagine the look on Thomas's face when Jesus shows up and says, he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Can you imagine how Thomas felt at that point? Uh, and I probably would have felt the same way. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. He didn't have to touch him. He knew at that moment. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. Unless you have seen Jesus, but I would say that probably all of us have not seen Jesus physically in front of us, yet we believe. Because Jesus isn't seen physically by our eyes. He is seen by his presence in his word and in his actions in our own life. He went to sit at the right hand of the Father so that we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we can have spiritual discernment 
understanding the difference between right and wrong. The world doesn't have that discernment. Do you know how I know? I watch the news. <laughs> uh, they're crazy. They're out of their mind. But that's how the world is going to be before the return of Christ. We're expecting to see these things. This isn't something unusual. The Bible already tells us this is the way things are going to be. So that's just another warning for us. Be prepared. Be ready. We don't have to see the nails. We know that this is the truth. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's today. You see, even it doesn't matter what you believe eschatological-wise. It doesn't matter what you believe about the timeline of the last days. All of us are living in the last days for us. You see, we're going to be leaving at some point. We don't know when we depart this, this earth. Could be today, could be a year from now. We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus is with us until we do. He will be with us. He will give us wisdom and strength. And all we have to do is allow him. Quite often we want to take the reins. You know, we want to take control. We want to be the ones in charge. And then we scream out, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, like that song. You know, uh, and that's because we have the wheel. And really Jesus needs to be the driver. You've seen the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? No, he's the pilot. Okay? I, I'm, I'm sitting in, in coach, and he's the pilot. He's the one that's going to get us to where we need to be. And all we have to do is trust him. And he tells us over and over again, all we have to do is believe and obey. As we celebrate our risen Lord and Savior today, may you go out with joy and be led forth in peace. Amen. Amen.